Welcome to a post 18 hole edition of Advantage Connors. Sitting here as always, your co host, Brett Connors, with his co host, Jimmy Connors. Yeah. What are you doing? What a great day. You know, Santa Barbara, <laughs> one o'clock, tee off time. We go out, nobody on the golf course. Mm-hmm. You know, the sun comes out. Hey, it's springtime. It's May. And and by the way, we hit some pretty damn good shots too today. I'm pretty pretty happy with the way we played. Yeah, it was fun. A little May, a little May gray, but the sun busted through. Yeah, um, we weren't a twosome though. No, no, no. We had someone with us. We had a third yeah. guest here with us on the podcast, joining us as a special guest. The doctor who really saved my life and my career—not my life, but my career. But I, I say <clears> my <throat> life also because it was a time when I wasn't really ready to stop playing tennis. So I go to to our friend, Dr. Rick Scheinberg. Doc, welcome, wel- welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a, it's a true pleasure and, and an honor as usual, Jimmy, to hang out and play a little golf with you guys and to spend the day with Brett and you and uh, just to witness you on the golf course. Anyone, <laughs> anyone who thinks that Jimmy Connors is a tennis player should see him play golf. He's a, he's Doc, a hell Doc, of a golfer. You're going to ruin my image now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, it was fun. But, Doc, <laughs> we, we, we go back a long way. We I do. Mean, we've been mm. friends, and, and uh, you, you've you taken care of me. You've taken care of a lot of athletes. And, and, and if you don't mind, I'd like to get into that along the way also. Of course. But mm. when, when we first met, do you remember? Of yeah. course. Yeah. 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 You have to understand that, that you know, I grew up uh, playing tennis, enjoying tennis, went through the period uh, in the, you know, 70s, 80s when your career was obviously at its uh, at its at its highest and uh, I spent a lot of time Jimmy you know in my medical training when I was at in in, uh, in Boston when I wasn't working I was sitting either playing tennis or watching tennis there you go and watching <laughs> tennis was watching you and 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 Vilas and Nastasi and Borg and uh, those guys and the, really the the heyday of tennis so uh, when I finally had a chance to actually meet you, that was a great pleasure for me. It was a lot of fun. Well, I mean, you, you, I mean, I, I remember mm. the first time I had, I had a foot problem and mm. didn't know what it was, but uh, really was struggling getting around, especially my movement on the court. Mm. And, uh, and I, I remember coming to you and you said, you got bone spurs between your toes. And I'm going, really? That's causing all this? You know? And- Doc, tell us what kind of doctor you are. Yeah. Give us a little background. Yeah, yeah good point. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm a, a general orthopedic surgeon. Um, most of what I do tends to be sports injuries, things of uh, shoulder, knee, hands. But, but I do everything. I, you know, I trained in, in, in trauma. And, uh, and also I trained at a time when arthroscopic surgery was at its infancy. So when I did my initial sports medicine fellowship in Boston when I, before I came out here, um, my mentor there was, was, was really one of, the, one of the fathers of arthroscopic surgery, which is using a little microscope to look inside the knee and the shoulder primarily. Getting scoped. Scoped. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what you know, when you say, you know, I had a knee scope or right. a shoulder scope. And we can just do a much better job because we can see a lot better and uh, the anatomy is a lot clearer. And we use smaller instruments, and that has all matured over the last 30 to 40 years during my career to the point where um, it's, that is the only way to do a lot of the sports medicine. So it's, it's become very um, uh, sophisticated. And at the time that I first met uh, Jimmy, uh, 
uh, I forget exactly, you know, how he got into my office, but he did. Mm-hmm. And he had a foot research problem. doc. Yeah, <laughs> he had a foot problem, and and uh, and we were able to to fix his foot problem. And then I don't think we really had um, a lot of contact until uh, you know ninety one. Remind me of yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that's about right, and and or uh, even ninety. Yeah, yeah right. it was ninety. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. because. Uh, uh, we had moved to Connecticut. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I moved my family the, to Connecticut from Santa Barbara, uh, and uh, because I was playing most of my tennis in in Europe, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, with the Concord, we had the Concord. Then I'd say, shit, I, you know, if I get to the semis or the finals, I'll hop the Concord, go back and see my family for two days, and you know, go back and play the next tournament. Unfortunately, the first tournament that I played, uh, I blow out my wrist, and and I went I went for a year of not doing anything because we were living in Connecticut and living here and living in Santa Barbara and all my friends and my connections and everything was more back here. So even though I would go and say, you know, what do I need to do to different doctors? You know, uh, if I was in St. Louis visiting my mother or if I was in New York or if I was in Miami or wherever, uh, I still didn't do anything with it. I, I just thought that it would heal itself. And and then I, and I was getting bored and I was getting frustrated, so I was getting injections in my wrist. And I remember telling you that, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going, I don't know if I should say what you said, you know, but you said that's just crazy, you can't do that. And and so, but I said I got to do it because I got to know if I can even play at all. So I had uh, con- uh, injections in my wrist. I went and I played a tournament. Do you uh, remember in Basel? You remember the match that blew it out. Oh, yeah, of course. Who was it against? Well, I can't remember his name, but I know he was a big serving, powerful player. Dude. And yeah. (laughs) And and I I remember we we were we were in the third set and in Europe, right? Somewhere is in Milan in Milan. And and he served a ball and it was it was long. And and I went to push it away. Uh, just like batted and, away just kind of batted away. And, and I remember my, uh, my rag and my wrist was, it was like on a hinge. It just kind of went start flapping back and forth. And, and I remember looking around to our, to our friend, Bill Lelly, who yeah. was, was traveling Lel. with me, my friend. Yeah. Lel. Uh, and, and I, I looked around and, and I said, you yeah, know, I think I broke my fucking wrist and, and he, and he's going, what? Yeah. Uh, and, and so I ended up Finishing the match. Finishing the match. <laughs> Which is incredible. Crazy yeah. here. <laughs> Playing points right-handed. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, such a nut. But, I mean, it was, it was over. I mean, I, yeah. I, I knew it then, but I was, we were in Connecticut, which was far from really from home. And, mm. oh, my God, it was, you know, for me, it was so frustrating. And then I tried to play a few tournaments. And then I remember calling you and saying, Doc, I, I've got a problem. You know, I, I came back from, I think it was Basel in, in Vienna. And I said, I got a problem. And, and, and I remember the words you told me. You said, come see me tomorrow. If you don't, you're done. I always had a flair for words. You, did. Yeah, you, 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 <laughs> you, you laid it right on the table. Yeah. You know, but really, that was the only way that I was going to come in and see you. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. you know, I might still be waiting to this day yeah. you know, to figure out if it's going to get better. And, and you were 37, almost 38 when this happened. So you were like, in everyone else's eyes, yeah, oh, shit, a huge injury at the end of a, mm-hmm. a huge, long career, he's done. Right, you know? I was 38 that year. Right. right, you were about to turn 38. Right. Also, let me sneak in and just, you moved us from Santa Barbara, where we have beautiful mm-hmm. golf, nice weather, mm-hmm. to Glendale, Connecticut. And then he goes and he blows mm-hmm. his wrist out <laughs> in his first event 
after moving us all to Glendale, Connecticut. Yeah. Well, <laughs> listen, if I was going to stay there, so are you. That's that, the thing. That, that's <laughs> the way I saw that, No, that was your punishment. <laughs> no, no, that's right. You're like, you're now right. you're hurt. Now you have to come home and hang with us, uh, take us to school every day. Oh, my God. <laughs> but but, uh, but that, that was interesting, too, because I remember the first week we moved there, there was, you know, 10 inches of snow on the ground. The The next weekend, it was 65 degrees. Right. So, I mean, we went through six months of living in Connecticut where yeah. you guys were sick all year. You yeah, have like four seasons in a week, right. you know, like every every week. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> fi finally, the you and your sister, Aubrey, and your mom got together and, and all tears coming down all your eyes. And, and We said, sold it. Yeah, you sold it. You said, <laughs> we're going back to California <laughs> with or without you. So, <laughs> but you know, then... But, but, Go ahead. But, but it was interesting when I called Doc and you said that, and and uh, and, and I came in to see you and take it from there. Yeah. So I, you know, you know, the I think the lesson or one of the lessons to learn is that, uh, particularly with a high performance athlete uh, and a an elite athlete, it doesn't take much to eliminate your ability to play a sport. It can be you know a high ankle sprain. It can be. Uh, a, a knee pain that doesn't allow you to to work maximally or to play maximally. Just something in the back of your mind that doesn't allow you to take that final, you know, Im important move that's going to in tennis, you know, win that that advantage court or whatever it is. But your problem, you know, your dominant left wrist is you. If you have, if a tennis player has a problem with his dominant wrist, it's a major problem. You know, in your particular case, your problem was unusual. You had what's called the extensor carpial narrus. That's a little tendon on the top of the outside of your wrist had probably gotten inflamed. And then it was injected multiple times. And cortisone is a great anti-inflammatory, but it's also an anabolic drug in the sense that, or catabolic, I should say. It, it, will, um, it will actually retard healing. Mm. And, uh, and it diminishes blood supply. So even though it temporarily makes it feel better because it's a good anti-inflammatory, uh, long-term, it has a destructive... Now, we didn't know that back then. We just used steroids fairly liberally in treating problems like this. But the natural history of it is what happened to you, which is your tendon actually tore. And it sits in a little groove. And I didn't fully understand or know this anatomy until, I, until we did your surgery. Because what I told you was, look, you know, uh, you don't have a choice. You can't play tennis the way you are. Uh, you still, even though you were 39, you wanted to continue to play, and, and you still had a fire in your belly, and you still uh, wanted to extend your career. And the only way that was going to happen was with a surgical procedure. So we agreed to do it. It turned out to be... But you didn't really know what you were looking for, though, did you? We had no idea. Right. We, we had a, a general idea, but we didn't know how bad it was. And until we opened up, and it's a subcutaneous, it's a fairly small area to open up. But once we make an incision over it and look at the tendon, we could see that yours was totally frayed and torn. And so what I had to do was remove the bad part of it and then re-anastomose it, meaning put end-to-end -end together, because it's a small tendon, but it has a very important function. And then what actually was torn was the little groove that it sits in. It's a little cartilaginous cup that supports it. And then there's a little band of tissue over it that prevents it from slipping over the side of that cup when it 
Anyways, I don't want to get too technical. Would that ever have healed on itself? No, it would not have healed. It it never would have healed unless Mm -hmm. it was done surgically. Because I had to repair the little groove that it sits in and also the retinaculum, which is a band of tissue over top of it. And that's why you were you were put in a cast for for I think six or eight weeks, uh, so that you didn't move it at all, so that it gave the tendon a chance to heal. Because remember, this was a disvascular tendon; it was a tendon that had been injected multiple times. It doesn't have a great blood supply, so to get it to heal and to absorb the kind of stresses that a professional athlete was going to subject it to, it, first of all, the tendon itself had to heal together. It had to revascularize. And then it had to glide in that little mm-hmm. in that little uh, little cup that it sits in, and then it had to withstand the kind of huge forces that you're going to put a- across it. So, you know, once we took you out of the cast, you had a stiff uh, wrist, and we had to get the range of motion back, and there was but, some but, therapy. But first, when but wasn't first... wasn't it almost like you said that if if this little piece snapped, it would have like gone up into his arm? It, well, if it completely tears. Right, it's under tension because the muscle attached to it is going to pull it up. So we have to retrieve it right. and bring it back into the wrist. But then, like, wasn't it if if it had snapped and yeah. done that, like, it would have been almost irreparable? Like, well, no, you can still repair it. And his was his was like that, except it was just very. It looked like a horse's tail. Okay. In other words, it was just frayed. Yeah. When it should be a nice solid tendon. Yeah. So, you know, I think just for for the public's understanding of what you went through uh, and the kind of patience and tolerance and the sort of incremental stress that we had to subject it to in order to assure that it could withstand those forces. That was a nine month process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that process, you were playing, you back, you went back playing professionally after about, I think five or six months. Oh. Uh, it may have been the French that was your first. Yeah. I, I played, I played one tournament. Let's see that, that was in, uh, September or October that mm-hmm. you did the surgery, and mm-hmm. then I played a tournament in April, right? And then my next tournament was the French. Yes. And the French I remember well because uh, I followed it, everything you did, obviously. And just just to to remind you what we did, uh, and and this is when I really got to know Jimmy Connors. During the rehab, uh, my concern was that his tendon would heal, but he'd get out of shape. So we would go. I'd go to the San Andreas Valley where you used to live in a ranch up there. Go running together. I was I was in depression though, Doc. You were in depression, yeah. and I had to remind you sometimes. We go walking up in the hills here or or there. I would remind you who you were, you know. And there were times when, you know, here is Jimmy Connors coming to me and and being depressed about what he went through, and I had to remind him what it meant to be number one in the world as long as you were, and what that accomplishment means. And I can remember trying to put that into perspective. And you say, well, you know, you're an orthopedic surgeon, doc, and you go to work and you help them. There's thousands of orthopedic surgeons. You are number one in the world. You are the best at what you could do. And it doesn't make that much difference what it is. But tennis is a game that a lot of people play. And to be that person, you know, you never had any reason to to doubt yourself or to be depressed. And I tried to remind you of that. And I, I don't know whether it helped or not. Well, but, you know, well, you know. I'm, I'm going to tell you. I, mm-hmm. I, I remember, and 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 I, I got a, a pretty good memory, but I I've had a lobotomy in the meantime, so I don't <laughs> right. recall right. everything mm-hmm. perfectly. But but I I remember uh, right after the surgery, I was really down, and and I'm sitting in a in a full arm cast and not knowing you know uh, it it not if I was ever going to play again, 
And, and I didn't want to be told that I couldn't play anymore. I wanted to make that decision. And, and I remember you coming to my house and, and saying, now's the time, get your ass out of bed, you know, and, and get out, you know, this is the, you know, we're, the, we're planning on this working. And I, I've thought about that often because if that, if, if you wouldn't have done that, I might've just slid off. Yeah. But, I, I don't think you would have because yeah, like, you're well, who you are. But, you know, on the other hand, I think that we develop, you know, I, I felt very close to you. I felt that we developed a good relationship and I felt that, that knowing who you were and how much heart you had in the game uh, and your abilities that you were going to be able to recover. We didn't know. We, did, we didn't know that, you know, uh, this, is, this is a devastating injury, even though it's a simple little tendon. It can, you know, if it was your, your non-dominant arm or if it was your foot or whatever, you can kind of get around things like that. This is your dominant playing hand and arm. <clears throat> the good news is that you have, and, and I was witness to this because during your recovery, we would, you'd go play in your court at your house. Remember you had that... Uh, Henrik Rosfall, did he come up, uh, the Swedish guy, and, yeah. and was your one of your sparring partners? Yeah. I'd sit on the side of the court and watch you, and, you know, the things that you did that really stood out in my mind were that you, you know, you had a very simple, clean stroke, not a lot of spin on it, but you would hit every ball three inches from the line, from the, from the uh, baseline, and three inches above the net. Every single ball, like a machine, you would do that. And, and, and you did it, you know, with that flat, you know, forehand and backhand. There wasn't a, a loopy, spinny type of thing, which is really a positive thing for recovery because mm. you had such clean strokes uh, that you were able, you didn't put the kind of stress that someone, right. you know, has a tremendous amount of uh, a spin on there, you know, either backspin or topspin. But it just amazed me, and I'll never forget just watching you do that over and over again, just like a machine, seeing that ball. Because I, you know, I, I've seen a lot of tennis players, and I'd never seen anything quite like that. Long story short, you get to the you get to the uh, to the French, and uh, and I'm I'll never forget. I was we used to have two hospitals in Santa Barbara. Now we just have one big one, but one of them was St. Francis Hospital mm -hmm. up, up in the on the Riviera, and I used to do a lot of total joints up there, and I was in the in the operating room and someone, one of the nurses comes in cause I know that I, I had done your surgery and she said, Dr. Scheinberg, uh, Jimmy retired. And I said, retired. What do you mean? You know? And, and, uh, I didn't know that retired simply meant that, the you, match. that you retired the match. <laughs> I figured, you know, after all we put into yeah. this, Jimmy's retired. Yeah. You can't do that. You didn't no. even talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but it turned out it was a Chang match. Right. And, and uh, the only thing, I mean, you're beating the guy and he was, you know, infinitely younger and, uh, and it was his surface. It was clay. And uh, you hit a wall basically. Right. And it wasn't your tech your surgical, your tennis technique. It was the fact that you just weren't in shape enough. Not yet. To be able to yeah, withstand a, a five right. set match, which Truly gave me a tremendous amount of uh, of uh, of hope and, yeah. and and expectation that 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 that's simple to get you back into shape. Yeah, yeah let me let me just jump in real quick. Yeah. Give mm -hmm. a little perspective yeah. too, because Nadal's about to turn 30, 37, <clears throat> right? So you were thirty eight when this happened. Nadal's mm -hmm. dealing with a, an injury, you know, that he might not come back from, or he's dealing with, or whatever. And no one would be like, "Oh man, like we missed out on a big chunk of his career." Like, you know, like you had such a long career 
that if that would have ended your career, everybody would have been like, fine, it would have been okay, yeah. you know? And so like, it's just kind of similar to what Nick Nadal's going through. Like we've known Nadal for 20 years. If that, if his, the injury that's ending, that he's dealing with now happens to put him out, you know, so be it, so be it right? Mm -hmm. So him coming to you, uh, you kind of had in a way like a free swing. Both of you were like kind of, obviously you wanted to come back and finish, but you're 38 and then maybe gonna be 39 like soon that year. And so like, obviously there's a lot of pressure, but it was also like, hey man, Let's fucking give, give it a whirl. See, see if this thing, you know, turns out. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then the other thing I wanted to just say that when the, re the rehab stuff, you come out to San Inez, the other place we would go to Santa Barbara city college, mm -hmm. shout out right. mm -hmm. the uh, stairs there and the track. Right. And, uh, we've told this story before, but the Rome, Jim Rome, mm -hmm. you were the person that Rome would come up here. One of the people mm -hmm. he would play tennis with. Mm-hmm. And then you brought Rome out. You're like, hey, I just operated on Jimmy's wrist. You know, we're, we're going to go run the stairs, like come out. And no, no, no. Let me tell you what happened. Okay. Because I would never uh, use, you know, my relationship with Jimmy to, uh, uh, you know, to aggrandize yeah, myself yeah. I, or anything of that nature. I didn't mean that. Uh, I just meant that you, yeah. that you guys played tennis together. Well, like the yeah, tennis Jim, connection. I knew Jim, uh, you know, because he was also a sports guy for the Maybe he worked with Jerry Fall. I forget exactly what it was, but the gauchos. Yeah. The, you know, uh, but he came to me and says, look, Dr. Shine, he's very, you know, like he always was and, and, and probably still is because mm -hmm. he's a smart guy and very successful. And he came to me, this was long before he became Jim Rome. Uh, and he said, Hey, is there any chance that you could introduce me? I said, you know, I, I just don't do that, Jim. If you want to meet him, feel free to call. He said, look, you know, there's got to be a time where, you know, you can, you know, you guys are together. Just tell me where you are. And I said, okay, <laughs> well, we're going to be, you know, running at the track. And if you happen to be sitting on the side of the track <laughs> when Jimmy runs by, feel free to right. reach Say out hi. to him, which, which is what he did. And, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, they had a great conversation and Jim was very grateful. And, um, but, uh, that was, that was, that's, that was that. But we used to, you know, we we go to the track, we we do the steps, and uh, we'd run out in the valley, and uh, you know, getting back to your comment about, you know, being towards the end of his career. For me, he was the big first big professional athlete that I dealt with, and we get our egos in it. You know, I I I wanted him to be successful, right? And it certainly isn't hard to convince him to be successful. <laughs> so you know, it was a a good environment for two people to work together yeah. for, for one goal. And, uh, and, and so that's how I approached it. I was very devoted to making sure Jimmy was successful. Exciting news. We have a new sponsor on our show today, Caldera Lab. Say goodbye to the generic face wash on your counter because Caldera Lab is here to save the day when it comes to your skin. Backed by a leading clinical trial where 9 out of 10 men experienced healthier and more visibly improved skin, Caldera Lab has the tools to unlock your best first impression and confidence. Today we have an exclusive offer for our audience, so you can try for yourself why so many men trust Caldera Lab for their skincare needs. Use code CONNORS at calderalab.com for 20% off their best products. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products by combining pharmaceutical-grade science along with nature's purest and most potent ingredients. I know as we get older, it's tougher to take care of your skin, and you have to give it more love than ever. 
and the products at Caldera Lab take care of me. Ready to take your skin to the next level with Caldera Lab? Look no further than the Icon. The rejuvenating eye serum is here to address the three most common skin concerns around the eye. Fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. Get 20% off with our code CONNORS at calderalab.com. That's 20% off at calderalab.com by using code CONNORS. Unlock your youthful glow and be ready for summer with Caldera Lab. Well, do you, do you think that because you had done the surgery that you had more of like a connection for that kind of rehab comeback than like me or Aubrey or Lally or some you know, trainer or someone you're playing with? Because you're like, look, we, you know, we rolled the dice, went on in on this together. Right. You know, like you had that like mental connection, like, you know, every time I went out to play a match, you know, whether it was the French and then, and then from the French, I went to Wimbledon and won a few matches at Wimbledon. And, you know, but like Doc said, you know, I, I'd had a year off and you said it also, I'm, I'm trying to work my way back into shape, you know, and, and, and to get some match play. And, and really it, and, and I know I told this to, to your mom and, and I might've told just to you, my, my goal was not the French. My goal was not Wimbledon. US Open. My goal was the U.S. Open. Right, I, I said, if, if yeah. I if I can get back healthy and and in the right frame of mind and and feel good enough by the U.S. Open, I might be able to do some damage. Mm-hmm. But we we always use that as our goal. Right. Yeah. And exactly. we, and actually time wise, because U.S. Open was nine months post surgery, that's quick. And and for you to be playing at five months or six months, which you were, uh, was early. But you did it and you did it successfully. So we, I had a lot of hope for the U.S. Open, and and you know, it was always your big tournament. It's, it, it's uh, interesting, mm-hmm. Doc. You gave me a thing, I, if I remember correctly, it was called a beer block, mm-hmm. you know, but not B-E-E-R. B-I-E-R. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I was kind of saying, give me one of those yeah. beers while you're cutting on me. Baby. <laughs> yeah, you know? talk about that. That's like a weird experience. Yeah. I mean, it was weird for me because I remember, and you told me, she, you you said, I'm, I'm doing this. It's called a beer block, and, and it's where... Uh, you put a, a tourniquet up around uh, the top of my arm. Is that correct? Yeah, is what it? you do is you exsanguinate the arm. Uh, and the, anest- the anesthetist, because you had an anesthetist or an anesthesiologist present, uh, they exsanguinate the arm and they, and they put a tourniquet on. And then they fill the arm up with an anesthetic agent. So it's numb. Mm, right. Not comfortable necessarily, but, you know, basically numb and, and you don't feel anything. That's the way they're supposed to work. Remind yeah, yeah. me. Remind me about... Uh, when, when Agassi had his surgery and okay. what happened with his beer block. Okay. It was a, it was a, I'll never forget that one. Okay. Yours worked very yeah, well. Yeah, it know. did. But, <clears throat> I, but I, I remember uh, that, uh, you know, you said, how do you feel and everything? I said, yeah, because when you did it, my arm was was up. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you said, how do you feel? And I said, I'm feeling okay, Doc. Uh, I said, but, you know, could, would you mind putting my arm down? And, <laughs> and it, it was, was already, down. <laughs> it was already down. I remember you looking over and you going... Whoa, <laughs> you know, but but it it was weird. Yeah, it was it was strange. And you and you said you, we've got about ninety minutes. Yeah, to do this. And and what would have happened in ninety minutes? Well, well, after that, you know, your your arm is not getting any oxygen. Mm-hmm. Oh, so his blood, his, your blood supply is cut off. Right, tissue so starts to Ninety die. would have been long. I don't forget exactly how long your surgery was, but eighty nine men. No, yeah, may have been. Yeah. Yeah. Were you were you watching him? Like, talking. were you looking you were, over you the... Probably talking to him, yeah. yeah. But he did, you, you didn't want to watch no. it. No, he, he no way. See it. No. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Hmm. 
That's crazy. I mean, you scoped my knee when I had my tore my meniscus, mm-hmm. and you knocked me out for that. Well, we and that generally, seems like less you know, than I, the, I use a beer block very rarely now. Yeah, because it's just you know with the, with the general anesthesia that we have now in our surgery center, it's so good. It's quick wake up. Mm-hmm. You know, the patients don't want to go through all this rigmarole of you know beer right. blocks and things like that. So almost everybody gets a light general. Yeah, yeah. So what could go wrong with that? You're talking about Agassi. What can go wrong? Uh, wait, with that? wait till we get to Agassi. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let's, fin- let's finish you first. <laughs> yeah. mm. Well, were you? I thought I was done. No, mm. no, you're not done yet. Well, mm. you talked about the French with Chang, where you hit a wall. You just needed like match play. And we always talk about how funny it is that they get to the fifth set, and he he steps into Chang's serve and rips a mm. winner down the line, mm-hmm. and then quits. So right. technically, he's up at the right. time that he quits. Right. You know, like the most him thing. But <laughs> they then had to bring. <laughs> They then had to bring him into into the room there and put an IV in him. Right, Norris, right. Bill yeah. Norris, yeah. which we, we mm-hmm. should get him on sometime yeah, shout too. Out to mm-hmm. him, but, but, but yeah, yeah. and then I was with you in Wimbledon where you won a couple matches. You beat Crickstein out on mm-hmm. I can't remember the court, but you beat him in straights. And then uh, so were you like talking to him? Would you play a match and call him and be like, "Hey, no, he was. This was in he was in Paris." Yeah, but like, you would know, you check mm-hmm. in and be like, it felt twingy or it feels good, or would you like kind of when, when I got back when you yeah, got back to the states when yeah. I got back home. First person yeah. he would always call would be Gloria. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a given. Yeah. And, and then, then us. Patty. Yeah. I was down the line a little yeah, bit. Right, right. But it was a good line. It yeah. was a very good line. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but but uh but going going into the open, you know, to me what was you know, was my goal. And and you know, and I and I, I remember, you know, talking to Doc. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember talking to you and, and telling you that I, I'm I'm feeling pretty I'm feeling mm-hmm. good now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know, and, and mm. I, I taped my wrist. I don't know if that did any good or not, but, but it did for my head, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, if I, if I caught a ball a little bit off center or whatever, a little late, or, you know, I, I wasn't really worried about it. So, you know, my, my wrist was healing, mm-hmm. but my mind was healing also mm-hmm. along with that so that I had the confidence, confidence. in that. Right? Yeah, it was all about confidence with that wrist. I yeah, think, so, I think mm. he went through his, like you said, nine-month rehab. I think that's for somebody who's, you know, doing the rehab 10 minutes mm-hmm. a day. But mm-hmm. then with him, he was on it constantly. Yeah, but it does take a, a finite amount of time for that thing to heal. Yeah. And the amount of stress that he puts across it doing what he did is huge. I you think, know, I think is, you're right, mm-hmm. though, about his style. Mm-hmm. I think if it was someone who hit a lot of heavy tops, it never would have worked. Too much like torque mm-hmm. and like tension on it, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. have had time to, to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, the the interesting thing for me was, uh, you know, when I when I went into the U.S. Open, and and going through everything that we had gone through to get me to that position, you know, I, I look, at, I see my draw, and they say, well, you play McEnroe, and I'm going, John McEnroe in the first mm-hmm. round, and they said, no, Patrick <laughs> okay. McEnroe. I said, you know, how old is he? <laughs> you know, and and I said, good, you know, because you know Patrick had had some success. And then I'm out there, and, and and everything is going good except what should be going good, which is my game, you know. And and you know, for you know, for me, and I, I you know, I finally just kind of came came to good feelings with myself in a match like that. I mean, when you're getting your ass kicked like that, you you either got to just walk away, which that ain't going to happen with me, never, or you got to say do something different. Let's let's figure this out, just, you know, just guts or, or whatever and, or, or get a break, you know, and that's what happened. You know, he thought he had me, you know, when, when you think you have somebody it's when you don't. And he thought the match was over and, and uh, he, he let me back in there. And if he didn't want it, I was going to take it. And, and then once 
that happened and, and I got stuck into that match, it's almost like, you know, you know, my mind went blank, you know, and numb against, against everything. You were in a zone. Yeah, right. It, 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 except what I had to do. You know, I didn't think about my wrist. I didn't think about anything except what I had to do to win that match. And, and to me, you know, that, that was the most important. When I said, you know, I, I was healing my body, I was getting, my wrist was good, my mind, my mind kind of you know, was able to overcome a lot of things. And, and uh, once I was able to push a lot of that aside, then, uh, you know, the, the success I had at the Open, and we talked about this, Doc, it's the best 11 days of my life. No, forget about the U.S. Open. Forget about the tournament. Forget mm-hmm. about New York City. I think about those fans, you know, and, and, and what they uh, gave me. It's what, it's what I look for in my whole career. You know, that noise, that sound of people, you know. And uh, you only get that in New York. I, I yeah. guess so. Mm-hmm. I guess was so. There, was there ever a time from when you started hitting balls on your comeback that you, like, were doubting yourself, you're doubting yourself, and then there was a moment where you finally, like, let it rip, quote, unquote, and then from then on you're like, okay, like, I know I can release it, or, or you know what I mean? Was there a point where yeah, after? It, well, I, I played one tournament before I went to the French. And, and every time I hit a shot and I felt a little twinge, I'm going, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like paranoid. Yeah, a little, little paranoid of, oh, did I do it again? Did it happen again? Is it not healing right? Should I take more time off? Right. You know, but, but once I got to the French, and, 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 I, and I say this because of the clay, because I had to hit a lot more balls on the clay. Uh, in, in my first couple, I played a five-setter in the second round, first or second round against. Um, I can look it up. I'll tell you, Ronald Lagenor, how you like that? Nice. See, that lobotomy never worked. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and then and then to go play Chang, you know, I'm I'm hitting 10, 12, 15 balls every point against Chang, running every ball down, and I'm saying, oh my God, you know, I mean, uh, you know, forget about that now, you know, and 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 that that was a big turning point in in uh, for my mental to know that. It, it had been successful, and now it's up to me to do what I wanted to do, which is, you know, try to play the tennis. Confidence. Confidence. You got straight sets mm-hmm. over Witskin? Todd Witskin. Todd right. Witskin, yep. and then, yep, you're right, five-setter. You won the first two sets, almost let it slip away, 6-3, six, 6-love six, uh, in the third and fourth, but it came uh, back strong with 6-4 in the fifth, maybe. Hey, yeah, I was tired. <laughs> I had to give the fourth away. <laughs> So you beat Patrick McEnroe. I did. Uh, you know, getting through him and and uh, five setter and, and five set ended mm-hmm. at one thirty in the morning and mm-hmm. and uh, but you know my, now I'm on an adrenaline rush mm-hmm. yeah and and uh, I, I was so I, I got home like at one thirty two in the morning at two o'clock and uh, I, I get home and there's no sleeping mm-hmm. uh, you know so I, I get up at seven eight o'clock and I'm out practicing at nine thirty in the morning ten o'clock at the U.S. Open and. And I and I and I want to go and I want to give a shout out to my friend Boris Becker who he was the first uh, I I went to the practice court and he ran four courts down you know to to come and say hey you know that uh, I watched the match you know, you know yeah. I, I was excited for him I'm glad you're back and you know and all that and That's you know cool. and it was very cool yeah. right and you know he was. You know, then he was at the top. Yeah. Who, who was first seed in he that was tournament? The, he was the two seed at the French, so he had to be top yeah, three or four was in first the world. Seed, first seed at the yeah, U.S. Open? Or Sampras. Or Sam- Maybe Sampras. I can look it up. Well, this is the one Edberg won, right? We're talking about? Edberg won. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Ed, yeah. Edberg mm-hmm. beat Courier in the mm-hmm. final. Right. So, yeah, but then, you know, then, uh, you know, I got through that. And then, you know, I kind of, you know, the, get the confidence and you feel like, 
you know, good things and just... No, uh, Becker was the one seed. Becker the US was the one seed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then I had a, a couple uh, three-setters, you know, that uh, it's three out of five. Well, Doc, can we just talk, go back to the McEnroe match quickly? Yeah. Because we all knew in the family that this whole last year comeback was, you know, centered on the U.S. Open. You knew that. He mm-hmm. knew that. Mm-hmm. And then he's down two sets... What was it, a break and love 40 on your serve? Yeah, love three, love 40. Right. Yeah, a lot of people turn their TV off at that point. Oh, right. <clears throat> Did you, and then we realize, holy shit, everything's been about this moment, and now this moment might just end like this. Right. You know, and then, and then that's made it even a little crazier, you know, knowing that, like, how much pressure was on, like, this, <laughs> this moment of the U.S. Open, and then if it was just going to go out like that, it was going to be like, oh, shit. You know, and then for him to turn it around and then and then keep it going all the way to the semis is, is always crazy. Yeah, you to know, me. It, from from my perspective, and I was watching it on TV back here in Santa Barbara. I was just proud of him for being out there and, and doing as well as he did. Uh, if he lost in the first round, you know, then it's not the end of the world. New yeah. York still was going ballistic for Jimmy. Noopit Jimmy. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that came out of the open. What's that? That came out of the open. It did. That yeah. was one of those Newprin advertising cash in baby. Jimmy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I don't know that I expected him to, I didn't really expect him to get as far as he did. I figured, you know, he got into a five setter. That was going to be a challenge. And he got into three of them. <laughs> right. That's the funniest part is yeah. you're like, if he's going to mm-hmm. run deep, he's going to mm-hmm. need some quick matches, right. quick points. He didn't and get that. It's like, he didn't get that. Yeah. And, and uh, I then play, you had a, I played mm-hmm. myself into shape. You did. <laughs> you got your gameplay in that way. <laughs> and then it was, I guess the, uh, the Crickstein match. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Cricker was my buddy, you mm-hmm. know, we had, uh, we had played a number of times, but uh, you know, he had, you know, we had been friends for a long time and, uh, you know, uh, would practice with me, come to my house and, and, uh, you know, was, uh, friends with my family, my kids and, and all that. And, you know, to get in and to play him, I, I knew his reputation and because I had played him a number of times, had mm-hmm. some really good matches with him and that, that he was not going to make mistakes. And, and I thought that I had to come in with him at the beginning and try to get on top of him and, and dominate him and, and try to blow him off the court. Now that didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was too steady. He was confident in his game and he was moving well. And, 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 you know, he ended up winning the first set and, and I'm saying, well, shit, you know, if that didn't work, what am I going to do now? And now I've got to get in, kind of settle into my other game, you know, and try to grind this out, you know, and I'll, and, and basically you know, I go up uh, big in the second set, but you know, he comes back, I'm lucky to win it in the tiebreaker. Now I'm exhausted, uh, you know, and, and uh, so, you know, we go and, and uh, continue. And then uh, uh, he wins the third set quite easily. And then, you know, after that, then, you know, now what happens now? I'm down two sets to one. There's no holding back, right? I got to just, you know, give it everything. And, you know, if I end up, you know, with a, a saline bag in each arm at the end of the, the match, I do. And mm-hmm. I did, you know, but... The, the, the fun part about matches like that is, you know, at that age and after everything I'd been through, Doc, I became a situation player. You know, the, the bigger the situation then, because I was done, you know, I was 39 years old. You know, everybody thought I should be retired to the couch and, you know, which you know, maybe, maybe I should have been. I, I, I don't know. But I wasn't ready for that. You know, in the situation that I was in there in my favorite tournament in, in front of that crowd you know, at that time and, and uh, the noise that they were making, 
you know, for the for the tennis that we were both playing was something the likes of I've never heard before. And and you know, that was just a driving, you know, for me to, you know, the pushing me to to do whatever was necessary, you know, to to prolong that match and to stay in and, and to and to to do more or be better than I actually was. So if there's ever a rain delay at the US Open Anyone listening to this podcast? <laughs> we'll, we'll have uh, not, an not anymore. They've got they, you know they got a roof over there now, but you know they kept me famous for twenty years, twenty five years. I mean, I, I saw that match twenty times probably, yeah. you know, but that's yeah. what they played during the rain delay. Well, also this makes it pretty crazy too. Where like Crickstein was a good player, people maybe not not know his name nowadays, but he was. Listen to this five set record: twenty eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was one of the best five set players of all time. Right. When you look it up, I mean, he's he's up there with. Look, you know, look at Jimmy Connors' uh, five set record. Though. Right, right. Uh-huh. Weak. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, like Cricker was a big match player, like a big moment player too. I think he had beaten Agassi earlier in the in that tournament. He had knocked mm-hmm. Agassi off. Um, yeah, you're right. He knocked Agassi off, and and I think uh, in, in that, the first round of straights. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I mean, he 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 had a lot of big wins, and he was cool, man. Like Crickstein, remember he he came out one. January, like yeah. before your season, and for the Super Bowl, for the Super Bowl, and, yeah, practiced, yeah, and hung yeah. out, and, and we went uh, shooting, yeah, yeah, we, we went we... shooting down in the riverbed, and yeah, uh, but that had to affect <laughs> affect his confidence, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, was just bringing him in, you know. <clears throat> yeah. I said, just don't turn it around. Yeah. You know? well, can I can I tell you a little bit of uh, another thing that I remember about that because you know I was here and, mm-hmm. and obviously watching that match. And I think I mentioned this to you, Jimmy, because because it reminded me last time we talked about it. Um, and you know, I'm not a name dropper or anything, but I, I happen to have operated on Gene Hackman. Mm. And I think I told you this. The Hackman? Yeah. I didn't Gene, know that. I did, did bilateral knee replacements on Gene. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful guy. He used to live in Montecito. He now lives in uh, in um, uh, New Mexico, Santa Fe. But uh, he for. For some reason, and I'm not sure I even remember why, he was recovering in my guest house. Uh, and, uh, and so we would go, I would go down to the guest house in the, in the evening and, uh, and watch the U.S. Open because he was a huge tennis uh, fan. Yeah. And he loved Jimmy. And so we would sit there and he, was, he had his knee up and we were kind of had him on the knee machine, the yeah. mo- motion machine. And we watch it, and and we watch that Crickstein match together. Oh, really? And as soon as the match was over, or shortly thereafter, you called. I'm sure you called Gloria. You called Patty, and he called me, and said, "Hey, Doc, come on out uh, on the red eye, and and uh, you know you can sit in the players box or something like that." Yeah. So I had to tell Gene. I said, "Gene, you're welcome to stay here." But I'm I'm leaving. Right. And I'm taking you know my little entourage. We're going to New York tonight, <laughs> and we did. And uh, we flew across the country. Like the, took the red eye, and the next night when he was playing Courier, I was sitting in the players' box. I think next to Davidas and uh, Margaret Court. And did you so, see him play uh, uh, Courier Harus? No, 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 I didn't no. see the Harus okay. match. Yeah. Uh, uh, have you ever seen? Uh, it just made me think of this moment. Gene Hackman's a legend. I love yeah. him. Have you ever seen Royal Tenenbaums? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> the scene mm-hmm. where he's like faking the sickness and he's in the like the hospital yeah, yeah, bed yeah. and then they realize mm-hmm. the medicine he's been taking is just uh, brown M&Ms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, the gig is up. Mm-hmm. It just made me think about uh, that. He's too. just one of our, you know, wonderful national treasures. Just oh, a yeah. great, great actor and a lovely, lovely guy. And, and I have I've really lost contact with him because he's since he moved into Mexico. But yeah. he was a, 
he loved it here. He had a big, big estate out in Montecito, and uh, and I played tennis when he just built a uh, a new tennis court mm-hmm. uh, on his. He he owned an estate that uh, Harold Simmons bought. You okay, because I one had all the grass that right. everybody objected to during the drought. But uh, one of the great old estates, yeah. and uh, and Gene put a beautiful you know rock tennis court on it, and I used to play out there occasionally, and really fond memories about him, but. For, for whatever reason, he was down there, and we were watching Jimmy during that uh, semifinal yeah. match or quarterfinal match. And we flew out there, and I saw that career match, and, and we spent a little time together yeah. in the locker room and everything. And what do you remember about coming to the stadium that day? Because when they, when you go back and look at the pre, you know, like the 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 fever that he had like kind of kicked up with all the New York fans who already love him, but then you know the older crowd who's you know don't count me out, kind of like we were. They had the huge, uh, you know. Yeah, neon sign yeah. that that was Noop at Jimmy, and you know it was this crowd was just going ballistic yeah. because he had the yellow racket, right? And and you know you knew how you I'm talking to Jimmy knew how to play to the crowd, and you knew how to give them that entertainment. And there probably isn't isn't a venue in the world that would be more receptive to that than New York. No, it was the best. Know? Yeah, yeah. But, so they but, loved them. But you know, you know what, Doc? I mean, a lot a lot of people talk about. You know uh, what happened back in the '70s and the '80s with uh, you know with my generation and and the uh, the guys that I grew up playing with, and and that that I think uh, was a big part of what changed the game back then. Is a lot of the guys that I grew up with, you know, were were willing to bring the crowd down on the court mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. You know, like me or hate me, just be there. Root for me or against me, just be there. You know, want to come down and play with me? I'll bring you down. I'll show you what it's like. I'll, I'll tell mm-hmm. you what it's like when I'm playing. You know, what it's like to be down here in front of 25,000 people and hundreds of millions of people on TV. And you realize that's a lost art. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. And I think that is why, and I've thought about this a lot, because I love tennis. And, and uh, you know, I was one of the founding members of the Montecito Mafia tennis group that I played in for 20 years here. And it was our in my social life. It was, you know, really how I spent a lot of my time on the weekends. And, uh, and I think that, you know, and I know you guys have touched on this in your, in your, in your podcast, but I think what you did is you were, you not just were, were, you know, a great athlete in a time when people were ready to see this kind of, uh, this kind of athlete on, in, in tennis, but you were an entertainer and whether people think that, that some of you know yours and McEnroe's and and Nastassi's uh, the way they you behaved on the court. That's why we watched it. You know, watching tennis. I mean, there's some really good tennis players since then. You know, the the Agassi Sampras here. You know, the the big three now. None of those guys really ever did the same thing that you and Mac and Borg and and uh, those guys did on the yeah. court to entertain us. That to me was what brought people t- to tennis and maybe i don't appreciate it or i don't i don't see it as much anymore but i, I don't see i think it's lacking and i do think that you should have an opportunity to show your personality good bad or indifferent that's what people want to see they want to know you and they want right. to feel like you're one of them yeah mm. uh, to, to me that was i mean uh, they're they're <laughs> 
There's people that would say things. They get on TV and they say, well, Connors, you know, Connors is this or Nastasi's that or mm-hmm. McEnroe's this. And then, you know, and I ended up uh, figuring out knowing those people and meeting them later. And Christ almighty, you know, they they were twice as bad, <laughs> twice as, bad as mm-hmm. I'd ever been. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm saying, oh, Christ, you know, how, how would you like to, you know, let me put you, put me on TV talking about you. You know, but but Brett says it right. He says, you know, a lot of people think even to this day that that I'm the way I was when I was in my 20s. You know, that, but that's the way I was when, when I was doing what I w- was supposed to do, which was play tennis and win tennis matches and try to be the best player in the world. You know, a lot of people think, you know, I, I can't get near him. He's, you know, he's this or he's that or, you know, he still acts like he did. You know, what, but to be honest with you, Doc, I miss me back then. I do. I liked me back then because because I was me. You know, that that was me. Sometimes, you know, I don't I'm not me now. And 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 I miss that. Well, you know, not, don't not, feel free to be you. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I think we saw you a couple times sneak out on the golf course there, the old you. Well, well that's, that's true, too. You, I thought he was very reserved on the golf course. Uh, I, I, I was very good because it was, you know, I don't want to get thrown out of the club. <laughs> but but it, it, it's it's interesting. The guys mm-hmm. that uh, that I grew up with, and they all had their own personality. Mm-hmm. They all had their own character. They all had their own style of game. You know, nobody played the same. You know, my game was different than Borg's, was different than Max, was different than Lindell's, was different than Panada's, was different than Eddie Dibbs, was mm-hmm. just different from Guillermo Vilas. You know, so everybody had their own. They're unique. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for the right candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. We streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it saves me time. We're a small company here on the podcast. When we need to hire somebody, I don't want to go wasting time looking around at all different sites. So I go to Indeed. It's my one-stop shop for everything I'm looking for. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your post at Indeed.com slash Connors. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Connors. Indeed.com slash Connors. Terms and conditions apply. Do you need to hire? Then you need Indeed. I remember one time we were walking, this is probably 25 years ago, walking up in the hills or running or something. And you told me, you know, hey, Doc, you know, when I, when I was in a match against these guys, yeah, I mean, we'd say hello in the, in the locker room. But when I looked across that, that court, I mean, I hated that guy. And I had to feel like I hated him. We weren't friends. He wasn't my, he was taking food off my kid's plate, I think is the way you put it. <laughs> That's no, right. But I mean, That's back I then... You know, if you think about it, uh, back then, that's what it amounted to. 
And I also remember when you were coaching Roddick that you were disappointed sometimes by his lack of, you know, having that fire in his belly sometime or his commitment or whatever, even though, you know, he was probably one of the greatest American tennis players ever. And I think it was, it, we decided that, you know, the, the good and the bad news about the, the prize money back then was that you had to win that tournament to feed your family. These guys made so much money early on right. that it took some of that fire out of their belly. And they could afford, by the way, to be friends with everybody. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different time. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, I'm not saying my time's better than this time or Agassiz Sampras was better than any time. I'm, I'm not saying better, but no, I no. do think that in terms of an incentive right. for you to win a match. Just going to say that. Yeah, for right. you to win a match and to, to know you had to beat them in order to earn enough money to support your family or whatever. Right. Uh, those days are long gone, and for the top, you know, twenty or thirty, maybe not for the top sixty. How yeah. much? Mm. How much of that? Because we've talked about on the pod before, where he used to not be able to beat Nasty. He mm -hmm. had a thing because he was friends with Nasty, mm -hmm. and because of that, Grandma Glow would be like, you know, you, you know, of course he's going to be friends with you. You know, he beats you every time. You know, so did something switch with that example when Grandma pointed that out that you went like, look. Even if I like the person across the net, I have to kind of look at them as the enemy or as... That's what I meant. Yeah. I mean, he didn't really hate him, no, but he had to look at him and, and imagine him as the enemy. Right, right. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. But is like the yeah, nasty you, thing you, a good yeah, example? Yeah, it's a very good example because, you know, uh, basically your your grandma said that, you know, look, he's, he's beating you. You're going to lose his friendship. You know, he's going to lose respect for you. You know, if you don't, you know, start producing, he's going to say, oh, I play, you know, I play Connors again. Oh, boy. By the way, Gloria was brilliant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, she, <laughs> the mind stuff, for yeah, sure. She, she was, you know, very good. And, and, but she was right. Yeah. You know, because, well, you know, once I started, you know, getting in and, and, and being able to hold my own with, with him, we became better friends. Yeah. Uh, and, and respected you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you didn't know your, your, um, Great grandma. Great grandpa so well. Uh, but he, he he was a boxer, you know, and, and uh, I, I remember from day one, you know, and, and listen, I, I did a few things in the day, even even before I did, that, that made my family cringe. And and but my grandfather always told me, he says, you're not out there to win a popularity contest. You're out there to win a tennis match. He says, as long as you go about it, you know, and, and like I said, so did, did I did I fall off the line? Yes, I did, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but, but the end result was he was right, you know, because if I would have, you know, and, and I could always find uh, something to, to make me, um, I don't know how to say <laughs> Harry, this. We already know where it's going. Yeah. Dislike the person across right, the net. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, well, sometimes you have to do that. Right. Right. You know, because like in boxing, you might not necessarily want to beat the shit out of some guy. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, mm -hmm. there's all the promotion and that build up and right. the smack talk, but also like so you have to go in there prepared to knock the guy unconscious. Right. You know, and yeah, like tennis, you know, he's going to do that to you because he'll do it to you. Right. And but tennis isn't all that promotion. Right? Don't you think that that's right. that's what it's about is to build yourself up to the point where you hate the guy. Right. You know, and, and, like, and you don't, you don't mind taking a full swing at him. Right. And, you know? and tennis is very like, is a lot like it's boxing. boxing at 90 it's, feet. It's, it right. is. So Absolutely. you don't knock him out mm -hmm. physically, but you need to knock him out physically. You mm -hmm. need to like run the other guy into the ground or, you know, wear him out or find his uh, weakness and right. exploit it or whatever it is. So uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, from, 
for me, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm, you know, I said, I, I miss me back then. I do, but, but I don't have that energy anymore, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be able to do that. But still in a, in a lot of things, uh, I, I, I go back to my tennis days, you know, because I think once you're able to put that kind of, uh, drive and, and discipline and everything into something, I don't think that ever leaves you. Mm-hmm. I think that, that in a lot of things that I've done business-wise and otherwise, uh, I've been able to do that, but no matter what, no matter, and, and I've been lucky in, in some other things also, but no matter how lucky I have been, it's not what it was when I was on that tennis court. Mm-hmm. Not that satisfaction. You know, the satisfaction of going out and putting me against my opponent and, you know, uh, you know, playing, he might be bigger, stronger, faster, better, but, you know, I got to figure out a way to win or the other way around and, and how to do that. But everything that went into, I, I, I was, what, whatever tennis was, I was born for that. And, and, and I say that with such great pride because it just fit me. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, my friend Borg walked away at 26 and, you know, this happened and this friend, and then, you know, you friends do things and got players do things Mm -hmm. and athletes do things that, that you you really don't understand. But, you know, I, I, I always said that Nastasi was born in a pair of tennis shorts because of his talent and the way he played and, and, and uh, everything that he had Mm -hmm. uh, to go along with the game. But I, I think from my standpoint, you know, I, this, I was meant to do this. And, and, and from the very first ball that, that my mom rolled to me when I was two or three years old, you know, and a racket holding a racket, I, there, there's nothing I, I wanted to do other mm-hmm. than do that. And, and to go back, because you, know, you got guys that say, well, I hated tennis, you know, I, you know, I, I went and played it, but I didn't really like it. And, you know, this, this, this I, I did, mm-hmm. I liked everything about it. I liked the travel. I liked the sacrifice. I liked the grind. I, I liked the, the discipline. Discipline. Mm-hmm. I liked everything that went along with it. And and to me, I hope that came out. And and, and I hope. Uh, I think you know, from from a, a fan's perspective, because you know, not only was, was I your doctor, obviously I was a fan. Uh, I always when people say, people come up to me and say, well, you know, I know we know you knew Jimmy or know him. You know, what's he really like? I mean, does he like what his public persona back then was? No, he's a great guy. I mean, we, you know, I've never, he's a gentleman. I think that, that, you know, the thing, the thing that, that, the thing that, uh, this, I, you laugh, but I'm that's laughing. what I say. Yeah, I now, I, I've been known to exaggerate. <laughs> yes. but, but having said that, I think that the, 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 what allowed you to, to be so successful uh, was because you were put on this earth, as you say, to be a tennis player. And in a five set match, uh, when push comes to shove, your heart would 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 come out, and you were going to win because that you were in the right place at the right time for who you were. And and yeah. and, a, and a lot of a lot of really really talented athletes out there, when they get into that situation, they don't they they could have maybe they could have played been a golfer, or they could have been a you know a hockey player or something. You were a tennis player, and that was what you were here to do, and your heart came out on a five-setter, and you were going to win, even though you may have played someone who was bigger, stronger, or more talented. You, you took care of me. And, and, uh, but since then, I yeah. mean, you're, you have taken care of a lot of great athletes uh, and, and yeah, great, was, ten, 
great mm-hmm. tennis players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. He I was, was the first tennis player, and then he became a, a tennis, tennis boom right. a little bit. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and then that kind of gave me some credibility in the tennis, tennis <laughs> sphere. So I, I, I had a chance to, you know, the honor to work on on, on, on guys like Agassi. And <laughs> let, me, let me tell you briefly the story, if we have, if we have a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, as uh, long as you want. Yeah. Uh, so Andre came into the office at your, at your suggestion. I think he had communicated with you and you sent him in. He lived in Vegas, flew over and we sat down. He was scared to death. I think he was by then in the mid two hundreds in terms of ranking. And, uh, he felt like his career was pretty much over because he had a wrist problem. Now I wasn't necessarily a wrist surgeon. I was a general orthopedic surgeon. But the the um, the principles and and were the same in, yeah. in, in dealing with wrist injuries. So he came in, and I don't think I'm disclosing anything that Andre would would be particularly upset about because mm-hmm. you know back then we didn't have the HIPAA regulations and everything, and it was a matter of uh, it was it was all in the newspaper, mm-hmm. and you know he talked about a lot about his his surgery. But uh, so he came in, and I you know examined him, and I did not know what his problem was. Because his problem was pain when he hit his signature shot, which was that inside-out forehand where he would hit it from the, you know, from the backhand side. He mm-hmm. would get over it. was his forehand, hyperextend his wrist and hit that loopy, you know, power shot mm-hmm. short to the backhand of, the, of his opponent or, or, you know, really across court. And he couldn't hit that anymore. And it was really limiting his ability to play. And finally, he just couldn't win. So he came in uh, and we talked about it. And I told him I didn't know what his problem was, but he didn't have a choice. He said, Doc, can you fix it? And I said, I, I don't know that I can fix it, but let's do an exploratory procedure and look at the wrist. We did MRIs and it didn't show anything. So we, we brought him to the operating room. And this was on his second or third visit. He came with his his uh, his trainer, who was a very interesting, wonderful guy, by Gil? Gil Reyes. Uh-huh. And Gil was this towering mammoth of a man who uh, uh, Andre just loved. You know, they were had a very close relationship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, I, I, he, I looked at him. I was scared to death of him because I was afraid <laughs> of a... If I screwed Andre up, uh, that uh, he, Gil was going to come get uh, me. You'd have to answer to him. I'd have to answer to Gil. And then Gil, when we go into the operating room, this was in our surgery center, he insists on coming. He says, Doc, do you mind if I come in and watch? <laughs> <laughs> Which is highly unusual, and mm-hmm. it's not something that we encourage. But given the fact that he could have crushed me with his, his left thumb, you know, I decided to acquiesce. So he came in, and we did that beer block. And, and the guy, the anesthesiologist who did it, was an old buddy of mine, and uh it didn't work. And Gil is sitting next to me and Andre is feeling what we're doing to him. And so I'm looking over at, uh, at the anesthesiologist giving him, you know, da- I couldn't say anything cause Andre's awake and Gil is sitting there, right. But you know, st- shooting daggers at him. And ultimately I go like that, you know, give him, put him to sleep, knock him down. Yeah. And he does. And uh, then we release the beer block and just put a regular tourniquet on Gil, I don't think to this day, ever knew that there was an issue or a problem. <laughs> uh, and we did the procedure, and I discovered that he had a, a rare problem of his extensor tendons were impinging on this band of tissue on the top of his. 
Anyways, I won't go into the details of it. But by the way, his 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 incision was it was in the sign it was in the Nike swoosh. <laughs> so everybody thought that he he had gotten that because on of Nike <laughs> from that point a tat- on. A tattoo, <laughs> right? A scar. So the scar looked like a swoosh. Yeah. Incidentally, by you know, and the, and the real coincidence was nine months later he won the U.S. Open, back yeah. number one in the world. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> and so nine months seemed to be the the uh, and and by the way, if if I operated on you. Nine months later, you had a chance of winning the US. Yeah. Right. You went <laughs> so deep. everybody was coming in to see me. So uh, this was nine, into 93, right? That was, was 90, 93. And then we did uh, Rafter, Patrick. So then Patrick came Patrick to came you in me with the and, same thing, a wrist? No, he had a shoulder. He, he, he had, had a rotator shoulder. cuff. Okay. On his serving of, arm. Because of his serve. Yeah. And he had an awkward serve and, uh, and uh, developed a rotator cuff tear. And we fixed that. And the thing I remember about Patrick was that every girl in the OR was in love with him. <laughs> that's, hey, that's not bad. And he could play tennis too. And he could right. play tennis yeah, too. So and he was a charming Australian. Yeah, and, he was a good guy. Uh, so it was fun. And uh, and then we've seen a bunch of them. And, and IMG sent us a bunch of uh, you know the, the female, young female. One of the problems from a you know just practically speaking from a doctor's perspective in dealing with professional athletes, particularly now, is as much fun as it is, and as uh, as great it is for your ego. It's very, very time consuming. And, uh, you know, in terms of the business aspects of medicine, mm-hmm. it's the reimbursements really are not worth the amount of time expenditure and risk and all the other things that are involved. So it's kind of a young man sport for doctors because they, you know, even the young, for example, the young females that the American, you know, top American females who would come in from IMG cross country many times, mm-hmm. They would come with their family. They'd come with their trainer. They'd come with their agent. Right. They'd come with uh, their psychologist. You know, mm. it was a huge entourage. And, if, and whatever the <laughs> problem was, I had to explain it to all of them. And then everybody has a and say. And I had to convince them yeah. that I knew what their problem was and can help them. And they would usually be on work comp insurance, which doesn't pay very much. And so, you know, it's a, it's a labor of love to a great extent. And my hat goes off to the guys in the, in the, you know, sports medicine arena that do that and do it, you know, year and day and week and month after month and invest their time and energy in it. Cause it is, it is, it is, it can be obviously very gratifying, Mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you have a, a Jimmy Connors but uh, there's not too many of those out there, right. as you know. Well, you've done some pretty good female players, <laughs> yeah. too, in Maria Sharapova. Taking care of Maria, she she uh, lived in Southern California and uh, had a shoulder problem, serve issue. Right. And a forearm and a couple of other things that I forget offhand. By then, we were doing a lot of orthobiologics in my office, which was non-invasive, using your own body's healing abilities using uh, PRP, which is yeah. pretty common now yep. rather than steroids, uh, using uh, 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 stem cells. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we did several of those to, on Marie and helped her without having to operate on her. That's uh, cool. So and we're doing that more and more now. Uh, and having a lot of success, it's not 100%, but it's a real, I think we're on the tip, on the vanguard of, of non-invasive treatment for things like tendonitis and uh, arthritis Mm -hmm. as well. And we're delaying or avoiding joint replacements and doing a lot of stuff that's exciting, which is one of the things that I'm still, you know, keeps me going back to my office because 
we're literally at the tip of the iceberg in, in orthobiologics. And I think in the next 20 to 30 years, that is where the thrust of sports medicine is going to be. So we don't have to have prolonged rehab programs mm-hmm. for injured athletes and they'll heal quicker using their own body's ability to heal. Right. No. Yep. Doc, Mar- you, you, Martina mm-hmm. also, yeah. just one more yeah. Martina. Didn't you Martina Navratilova? Did you, I don't know that I ever, I don't, I don't think I ever saw Martina. Or were you talking about a different Martina earlier? Did you say Martina or am I tripping? I, I don't know that I mentioned a Martina, okay, but maybe I'm uh, hearing things. <laughs> but I, I probably have seen a Martina yeah, you know, here and there. I've been, right, right. Not, not, I don't believe I've ever seen Martina. Okay, never okay cool. Mm-hmm. Doc, you, you know, you're no secret. We're getting older, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, you know, we were talking today while we were playing golf that uh, your wife, Nora, had you at the, the, the city college running the steps and, mm-hmm. you know, still doing that. And, and, you know, you're disciplined, you know, I'm disciplined. And, and so uh, the older we get, Pushing ourselves like that, good or bad. After you hit, now, Brett, you can tune out on this one because you're not there yet. Uh, you still actually have hormones in your body. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for those of us who are who are over 50, we're losing muscle mass every year. And when you hit 60s and 70s, it happens really rapidly. So the only way you can, you can uh, counter that is by, you know, exercise. And actually, you know, when you're in your 40s and 50s, you can exercise so much when you when you get older you actually have to exercise more in order to just stay even and that is the way to prevent uh, osteoporosis because it happens to men as well as women obviously it happens to postmenopausal women but it happens to us too because we don't have you know the same hormones we don't our DNA actually is the sirtuins haven't been able to repair our DNA as much and you know there's a lot of supplements out there if you listen to David Sinclair is a Harvard uh, biogeneticist. He believes strongly in NMN, uh, which is a precursor to NAD, which, you know, is one of the precursors to the things that repair our DNA as we get older, as well as uh, resveratrol, and, uh, which is a concentration from, uh, from uh, red wine. But, you know, the... the Mm. The, so, there's a lot so of wait, I gotta stop right <laughs> yeah. you telling me red wine's good for you well red wine it, it, the volume of red wine you'd have to drink to get enough resveratrol oh, would okay. be pretty <laughs> but, but you can take it there, there are supplements you, but what I'm saying is there's a lot of things that we can do to prevent the deterioration of aging and I do think you know hormonal sometimes hormonal replacement can be useful if you have low uh, testosterone for example think that um you know, the th- if you look at the, you know, you've heard of blue zones. I think we've talked about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the blue zones around the world, everybody's heard about where there's a lot of centenarians and the people, centenarians, people live over 100. Loma Linda, for example, in Southern California is a blue zone. Uh, it's a Seventh-day Adventist area. And this, their lifestyle, their community, they've looked at the commonality. Okinawa has one. Sardinia is a blue zone. If you look at the commonality and what these people who live a long time and are healthy, you know, up until their 80s, 90s, and, and hundreds, they exercise. They, a lot of time, for example, in Sardinia, the, the, the women and men are walking up and down these hills all day long. Probably the most important thing is that they stay very social and they, they have a community and they remain uh, engaged with their friends and, they, and their families. And they are revered for being old. You know, Southern California is known as the ground zero for the youth culture. 
And if you get over 25 or 30 here, you're kind of discarded. Right. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little no, bit. No, I don't think you are. But I think that there are cultures, you know, for example, where we go in Italy. You know, there's a lot of multi-generational families living together. The older people are respected and they're mentors and they're revered and, they, and the families support them and they, uh, and they live a long time mm. and they live happily. And I think that in combination with exercise, maybe taking some supplements and, uh, and being active and having a purpose, those are the things that seem to be re- related to, to living a long life, healthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have just a, a question about wrists in general. Because we talked about his wrist, Agassiz's wrist. Um, he was at the end of his career. It seems like there's a lot more wrist and shoulder injuries nowadays. A guy like Del Portro, Juan Martin Del Portro, Dominic Team has been kind of nursing, you know, Grand Slam champion in 2020. He's been mm-hmm. struggling to come back. Belinda Bencic is a, a WTA player who's had a, a major surgery and come back. And then a lot of people talk about it. Like he says, our generation, it's hips and knees. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and a lot of people think it's going to be a lot of wrists and shoulders now because of the equipment. You know, the rackets are so light. They swing so hard and they got these, you know, these strings on it that these real grippy strings and just the way the technology sets up that they're banging away so many times. What do you think? Is there stuff that can be done or, or what do you think about all yeah. that? Do you see all know. that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I don't see, I haven't seen those, those uh, professional athletes but you know, I see a lot of weekend warriors, which mm-hmm. is mostly what we take care of. Guys like you and me, you know, guys that I played tennis with over the years in this little community, uh, golfers, um, pickleball. Pickleball is yeah. a big source of, of injuries. <laughs> uh, you know, and I don't want to say anything, you know, controversial or anything. We, we touched on this earlier. But I do think that the athletes and, and their relationships with their trainers, we have to look at that. Because trainers want to make you stronger. They want you to hit more balls. They want you to hit them harder. They're going to videotape your, your every motion and analyze it to make sure it's efficient. But if you subject, you know, human soft tissue to the number of revolutions that a tennis player is going to do during a four-hour practice session mm-hmm. and do it over and over again, or if you have some little mechanical issue with your serve, Shoulders just are not designed for that, nor are wrists. And they, they will fail just like any material. You take metal and do it to it long enough, it's going to fail. You take soft tissue in a human and you subject it to the kind of forces that these, these young athletes are, are subjecting it to, in part because of, of, of who they're surrounded by. Obviously, they want to be the best. They see what their, other, their competitors are doing in the gym. But they're right. pushing themselves too darn hard. And what... You know, and, and, and Jimmy and I talked about this earlier as well. A tennis player doesn't have to be that strong. I think Rafa is unusual in that regard. He's such an incredible athlete mm-hmm. that he's able to get away with the kind of muscle mass that he has. But most people can't. And, you know, and we talked about, if you look at Tom Brady's, you know, throwing arm, he doesn't have, you know, no. big biceps and all that. He's very limber and loose. Fed and Joker. If you look from you look behind, at, look the back at, of their arms. Look at, look at Roger Federer's arms. Yeah. They're skinny. Yeah. But he has more whip in his arm. And that's right. basically the fundamental biomechanical uh, basis for the serve. The, the forehand, the backhand should mm-hmm. be, you know, it's certainly very important in golf. It's a body motion. The, the arm kind of follows. 
But the stronger they are, you know, and you've seen in, 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 in golfers, I think Tiger Woods is a good example. They, they shouldn't be in that gym doing what they're doing. You know, they're better off just being out on the golf course. Yeah, you want to strengthen your, your, your legs, your core. Right. But working on your arms can have a very detrimental effect. And then pushing these guys to repeat that motion for hours and hours and hours during the course of the day to get better. Maybe you can get away with it, but all it takes is one overuse or repetitive injury like that, and their careers are over. Right. I think you're right, too, with the trainers, because now they have a trainer and a physio and a this and that, like four mm -hmm. or five different guys or girls or whatever. And so, like, each person has their own individual pressure on them mm -hmm. to, like, their one specific part of the player that they train we better max it so out. They want a paycheck. Well, and they don't want. And they want to justify want, their existence. They don't want mm -hmm. their part of the the team to be the reason they lose a match. Right. Mm -hmm. So is it her cardio? Then is the car physio guy? Then is it is it the muscles? Then is the trainer guy? If the diet didn't she ate too many carbs, she didn't hydrate. You know, but you're right because there's so much pressure, and they don't. They're almost looking like I just want to keep this job this week. Mm -hmm. Not like is she going to yeah. be okay in six months yeah, or a exactly. year or three years. And uh, it's just a lot of beating because the equipment has changed in some, for some ways that's a good thing and it provides them to be able to do these crazy things uh, on court. But then what is the long-term effect of it well, going to be? The, I think the, the, you know, the equipment is good. It's how you use it and it's how you train. And, and bigger and better isn't always, or bigger and stronger isn't always better. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I mean, I do think golf is a, is a paradigm case of that. Uh, you know, I know that you know, we talked earlier about John Daly. Uh, John Daly. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. John Daly has never lifted a weight in his life, and he's you know he's got a twelve ounce beautiful, curls. Twelve, 12 <laughs> ounce, right. yeah. <laughs> but he's got a twelve. He's got a uh, uh, you know a very fluid, beautiful motion for a man his size. Oh yeah. And you know, and he he says, look, and he thinks he he's the one who said, look, he thinks, you know, maybe it's Brokepka and 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 Tiger and these guys have buffed themselves out of their sport to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. You know, Tiger is such an incredible athlete that he's been able to accommodate it. You know, not everybody could do that. You know, he's had his injuries. Mm -hmm. he, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the size of his chest and arms. The weight they have to carry yeah. too, right? Well, the weight the is, is weight. less, it's, it's more the flexibility and the whip motion of their arms. I mean, yeah. a professional- Tight mm -hmm. muscles don't move as fast, do right. they? No. And then if you have no, big chest, it gets in the way. Of, gets in the way. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, for example, a pitcher, you know, if you got a guy who has a hundred mile, hundred mile per hour fastball, mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is strengthen his arm. He's already, right. you know, already he's got already it. got it. Yeah. So, but if you strengthen it, that speed will go down. Mm -hmm. So what do you, have, have you watched Alcaraz or Swiatek, the number one players or, you know, he's two or whatever. Yeah. So what would, what would your advice be to players like them? Because they use a lot of wrists. Mm -hmm. Guys like Sinner is so whippy which makes it so hard. They disguise where they're going because they can go up oh, down the line, just getting in at the last second. They're whipping and, and negged by little injuries along the way that keeps them out of events. Right. So what would you, what would your advice be to them to try and, you know, make their careers be as long as they can be, you know, and stay healthy to, to strengthen, obviously if they're, you know, in the gym work on their lower extremities, but leave their upper extremities alone uh, and train. Uh, don't overtrain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously play the sport, train enough so that you're competitive, but you know, the more isn't necessarily better with training. And uh, these guys train enough. They're already incredible athletes. They're already gifted in, in, in every possible way. Yeah. Why screw that up? Yeah. 
Well, but tennis, that's old school, though, Doc. I mean, you know, going. That's what back, I am, though. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, but I mean, that's uh, you know, I keep going back to you know to my grandfather. He taught me he was a boxer. He taught me, you know, but he wasn't in the gym lifting weights and didn't have me doing that. He had me running, you know, uh, tennis's quick spurts and quick and movement and agility and and. Uh, being fluid and you know and and uh, balance. Thirty mm-hmm. seconds on, mm-hmm. thirty seconds off. Right. Kind of like mm-hmm. go, stop, right. go. Jump rope. Uh, you know, get your heart rate up. You know, those are all the right, right. things to do. Your, your grandfather was was you know obviously intuitively he he knew the right things. You know, when you think about it, you have a you know this great grandfather. You had an incredible mother. You know, you had a brother you could play tennis with. I mean, you were you were put on this earth for you were pretty blessed. Yeah. Didn't have to go far to Didn't get where to go I far. needed. Yeah. That was all in Belleville. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty good. That <laughs> yeah. But it was, you know, grow, growing up there might mm-hmm. have might have been the best thing for me. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. No to, doubt. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, being back then, you know, was if you played tennis or golf, mm-hmm. you know, it was all football and baseball and basketball. You had the Cardinals. You had the Blues. You had the football Cardinals. And, and you know, it was all, you know, tennis, even though St. Louis – was really a a uh, major tennis mm. town. I mean, there, there a lot of great players come out of there. Wimbledon champions, U.S. Mm-hmm. Open champions, and and uh, you know, great college players and so forth. It, it, but but still, it wasn't. You know, back then in the fifties and sixties, wasn't accepted to that level of uh, of uh, in high schools and in in colleges even back there as a football, baseball, basketball. Mm-hmm. So you know, to to do that, I mean, it was almost like sneaking around a little mm-hmm. bit. I remember go, going and playing tennis and then coming, uh, coming back on a Friday evening and, and saying, uh, I think I want to go out with my buddies, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, my buddies go, where were you? I said, Oh, I was playing tennis. And they go, Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you were, what? Yeah. But you had the last laugh, not, not just because of your career, but because when you got to UCLA, you got to hang out with Bob Evans and those guys. That, well, <laughs> I, I had some excitement. Had some that's, excitement. that's another podcast that I want to hear about sometime. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, just had, too. we just had uh, Spencer Segura up here, Pancho mm-hmm. Segura's son, who did a podcast with us. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I see Spencer, I uh, talk to him, uh, you know, every week. And, you know, we stay in touch. And, you know, we're buddies from when we were 14, 15 years old. You know, but to to sit with him... You know, still, and and to because he's got almost like a photographic memory of things that happened back then, and who we met, and where we were, and and everything. It was so fun uh, to to sit and, and to hang with him. And it's like it's like Brett said, you know, it's it's almost like we were back then. You know, we we didn't go out and sit and have long dinners and sit at a bar, or whatever. We were up, we riding a bike and hiking and going to hit tennis balls and going to the golf course. And, you know, uh, we, we'd go to the club, we'd, you know, we'd have a bite to eat and we'd come, we were so exhausted, you know, it, it's at night, it's eight, eight 15, we're in bed, you know, but, but it's, it was so fun, you know, to, uh, to retro, you know, and to go back and, and to talk to him about a, a lot of things like that. And, and, you know, how his dad, uh, would train us and, you know, his thoughts about a lot of things on us when we were growing up and young and, and, uh, you know, what he was trying to give us. And, and, and I, and I told him the greatest thing about my mom and his dad, uh, was that they were able to make us do something and we didn't even know it, uh, you know, to, you know, whether it was on the court, off the court, how, uh, how to act, how, you know, how to, how to do things, how to, uh, be accepted in a group and how to handle people or, or whatever, but they get and, and we didn't even know they were telling us, but they got us to do it. And, and, and that in itself was a, 
was a pretty cool thing. Yeah, no, I, I remember the first professional tennis match I ever saw when I was a little kid was Pancho Segura versus Pancho Gonzalez in Madison Square Garden. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, great. I was think that? I think Gonzalez won that tournament, that that match. But uh, that was that was that was the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They those, those two were were oh, Pancho Segura for sure. But even Pancho Gonzalez was a major influence in my in, in my in my career mm -hmm. because I, I saw him play and I saw his his attitude and, and you know what what he did and how he handled uh, situations of, you know, while he was in distress, you know, and, and things weren't going his way and, you know, how mad he would get. And, and, and then 10 seconds later, boom, he was right back in the moment, mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, and, and I'm going to say this, my, you know, uh, one of my absolute best friends is Zilli Nastasi. He could not do that. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he'd be in a bad situation and five games later, he'd still be griping and moaning about it. You know? <laughs> Couldn't and, let it go. Right. Could not let yeah. it go. But, but Pancho, he, he, I mean, he was very, uh, adamant at telling me, you know, you can get mad, you can blow, you can do whatever you need to do. But when that ball, you know, right, you got to get back in the moment. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, so I, I was pretty lucky being around some of the great tacticians and the great minds and, the, you know, the, the great players in the game. I was pretty lucky. Fun yeah. times. Yeah, sounds like fun times. So, Doc... Is that good? When you got any other yeah, questions for the doc? I, I could I could talk to Doc all yeah, you know, I know. You know, for another couple hours, but yeah. uh, I'd rather get him on the golf course. <laughs> right. We'll have to get him out there again. That was fun today. That, that was, was fun. fun today. Thanks. Thanks for a, a wonderful day. We I, I enjoyed it. And just just uh, again, you know, people should know, Jimmy. You're you know, I think what you shot a 75, 76 out there. You're oh, crushing him right now. Doc, and, you're killing me. Yeah. The sandbagger. <laughs> the sandbagger over here is getting uh, crushed. Uh, yeah. I'm a good 12 handicap, Doc. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's a traveling 13. Uh, Doc, thank you so much. Thank you for, number one, the day, uh, you know, the golf and, and just hanging. To your, it, it's always great being with you. But to come on our podcast and, and uh, you know, you're busy and you got your family. But, you know, to spend time with you was always, uh, you know, it, it's yeah, we've gone beyond friendship now. You know, we've, uh, your family and, and I mm. hope you know that. And, uh, you know, anytime you want to come on, anytime you want to tee it up, mm. yeah, you know where to come. Well, I appreciate it, brother. Yeah. And, uh, and Jimmy, and it's been an honor and, a, and it's, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you guys. And, uh, till next week. Yeah. Yeah. When we, uh, <clears throat> when we started this, we made a, a list, a short list, and we always wanted to have you on just because you had such a, well, hell, why the hell played. didn't you call me? <laughs> <laughs> Until we got on, been our, there anytime. got on our bigger, uh, on our platform, Cloud 10, baby, mm -hmm. shout yeah. out. Yeah. I heard mm -hmm. podcast. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I wanted you to get really, really successful before I came out here. Wait, we had to build a base <laughs> and a following. You didn't want to come on earlier. Yeah, you know? we, we got it going. But, uh, <laughs> Brett, are always great being with you. I had a great day. Uh, yep. You can follow mm -hmm. me at Jimmy Connors uh, on Twitter. Follow Brett on Twitter at Brett underscore Connors. Follow us on our podcast at ADV Connors. Uh, am I missing anything? That's good. Your, your Facebook page is good, but that, that's enough. Uh, Doc, thanks for, for joining us, and uh, we'd love to have you on again sometime in the future. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Peace. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.